Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. One verse, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I know you've been standing a while. Verse 23 of Romans 3. Short verse, familiar verse. For all have sinned, everybody say all, and fall short of the glory of God. I want to preach a little while today about the reality of sin. God bless you. Be seated. My wife and I both grew up in, in Mississippi, and I, I can recall when riverboat, that's what we called it, riverboat gambling uh, was, was legalized there uh, in Mississippi where, where we lived. And um, it was something that was debated for years, but when it finally passed and when it was approved, there was uh, definitely in, in corporate areas and in different areas, there was a lot of excitement about it. There was a lot of, a lot of buzz, you know, we growing up in in Mississippi, just uh, you thought of casinos and gambling, you thought of Las Vegas. And so I think a lot of people were thinking, oh, a little bit of Las Vegas is coming to poor old Mississippi. Um, but I, I remember that as these, these river boats were being uh, built along in the Mississippi River and down on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, that billboards started to pop up along alongside the, the interstate, and projected on these billboards were these glitzy, glamorous images. And, I mean, it was the best of the best. They, they showed beautiful people with big smiles just apparently having the time of their life because that's what happens around blackjack tables, and that's what happens when you pull that lever on the slot machine. It's just everybody's winning. Everybody's having a good time. And so on these, these billboards, they would use captions like, come dance with Lady Luck. And they would put the, the, the triple sevens up, you know, on, on those slot machines. Like, you know, all you have to do, it's so easy. Just pull it and you're going to hit it big. You know, not, not just showing everything but just the good things and there there were there were messages like your jackpot awaits so everybody's gonna be a winner everybody's gonna get rich this is just wonderful and so those those billboards they just emanated they they emanated fun and pleasure entertainment and enjoyment but you know, after those casinos got up and got to operating for a little while, it wasn't very long that, that uh, went by that other billboards started to show up. And those billboards said something like, do you have a gambling problem? Call 1-800. Call this number. But you know what? The casinos... They didn't want you to think about that. They, they, you know what, that's not how they made their introduction to the community is that, hey, you know, we're, we're coming bringing some addiction with us. 
We're, we're coming to destroy lives. That's not the message that they were sharing. They, they didn't show on their billboards the picture of the man who just has empty pockets now because he just got finished gambling his paycheck away. That's not what they depicted. They, they didn't show the family that is evicted from their home because rent money was used to hit it big instead of taking care of business. They didn't show the single mom. They didn't show that senior citizen who lived on a fixed income squandering away their livelihood and ending up broke, not being able to pay their bills. They, they didn't show those things. They didn't show what the result of chasing the riches were and coming up empty. They didn't, they didn't show what the end result was of chasing that happiness or chasing that image on a billboard. But can I just tell you, church, that is the reality of sin. That, that's a very good representation right there of sin because sin never gives you what it promises. And sin always takes more from you than you expected. Author Thomas Brooks said it like this. Put it on the screen if you don't mind. He said, Satan promises the best, but he pays the worst. He promises honor, but he pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure, but he pays with pain. He promises profit, but he pays with loss. He promises life, but he pays with death. That's what sin does right there. That's the work. That's the reality. That's the truth of sin. But church, unfortunately, we live in a day, we live in an age that we just want to gloss over sin. We just want to paper over it. We just want to dress it up. We just want to redefine it. We just want to make it look better than it does. Nobody seems to be a sinner anymore. But you know, that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, it says we've all sinned. It says that we all fall short, that we all have been at fault. But there's this movement to, to sanitize sin, if you will, to purge sin from, from our conversations, to take it out of our vocabulary. And I, I believe firmly this is the work of the devil. This is the, to get rid of the word sin, this is the work of, it's a work of deception. Because hear me, if you are never wrong, if you are never at fault, then you're never going to be free. If you're not getting what I'm saying there, here's what I mean by that. When you're always blaming somebody else, when you're always pointing the finger at others, when you're always blaming something else, then you give up the power to change. At some point, if things are going to change, you've got to have a reckoning. You've got to have a realization. You've got to have a moment of brutal honesty and call, to, to use a casino language, call a spade a spade. To call sin, sin. Otherwise, you're not going to be free. But I understand the day. You know, it's good to say that, hey, I messed up. 
It's, it, it's good to do that. It's good to say, you know what, I, I, I missed the mark. I, I, I made a mistake. But you need to know today that when it comes to God, that's different than saying, I sinned. Right? That, that's different than saying, God, I, I transgressed your word. I sinned against you. And here, here's the reason I'm saying this. It's because a mistake or a slip-up is what we would term an accident. And you know what accidents produce? Accidents produce victims. So are you following me? Do you, do you see what I'm saying there? And if we are all victims, instead of saying I've sinned, instead of saying I've fallen short of the mark, what we do is that we shift the blame onto somebody else or something else and we begin to point the finger at family and we begin to point the finger at society or culture or we point the finger at the church and they let me down and this person did this or that. All the while, the reality is that we don't really have an accident problem. We don't really have a mistake problem. We have a sin problem. And here's why that matters. It's because if you don't know that you, don't have a, that you have a disease, if you don't recognize that, that you have a disease, then you'll see no need for a cure. Let me take it a step further. If sin isn't an issue for you, then you'll never see a need for Jesus in your life. If you don't ever see yourself as a sinner, then you'll never see the need that you have for a savior. And so that's why the enemy, that's why the devil is out to erase this word sin from our language. So let me remind you today, sin is a disease and the cross is the cure. Plain and simple. Sin, what is this? What, what, what are we talking about here? I'm talking about falling short of the glory of God. That's how the word of God defines it. Sin is insisting on doing things your way instead of God's way. Sin is refusing to believe that God has your best interest in mind, so you choose fleeting happiness or you choose temporal pleasure instead because you don't trust that God's really for you. But the reality of sin is that it never gives you what it promises. And it always takes from you more than you expect. And church, that's why we need to call it what it is today. And that's why we don't need to fall prey to sanitizing sin. Listen, some may want to call it fooling around. But the Bible calls it fornication. Some may just want to say, oh, that's just an affair, but the Bible calls it adultery. Some will say, oh, that's just a white lie, and everybody has to do that every now and then. Listen, the Bible makes no distinction, and a lie is a lie is a lie. Some would say, well, there's nothing wrong with skimming a little bit off the top, but you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that's stealing. So I want you to know today, the world can change the labels all they want to, but sin is still sin, and sin is what produces separation between us and God. Sin is what will send us to hell. Some may call it tolerance. The Bible calls it an abomination. Some, some may call it freedom, but you know what the Bible says? It's bondage. 
Church, let's stay true to what the word of God says. I want to implore us, let's not fall prey to the spirit that is at a foot in this day and age. Sin is still sin, and we all need a Savior. Can somebody say amen? You see, when you eliminate the existence of sin in your thinking, then it's so easy to begin to justify your carnal appetites. When you don't define what you're doing that's in opposition to the word of God, if you don't define it as sin, then it's easy just to, to justify your desires. But Jesus tells us in Mark 7 and 21, he said from within, everybody say within, out of the heart of men, that's us, that's you and I, within us, in our hearts, what's there? Here's what you're going to find there. You're going to find evil thoughts and you're going to find adulteries and fornications and murders and thefts and covetousness and wickedness and deceit and lewdness and an evil eye and blasphemy. And none of those things are good things, are they? None of those things are what you want to have, you know, behind your name. Pride and foolishness, all of these evil things. Let's call it what it is today. Let's not try to sanitize it or whitewash it. Let's call it what it is. All of these evil things, where do they come from? They come from within and they defile a man. So church, when we don't call things sin, then whatever's in our heart becomes legitimate. When we don't classify our behaviors and our choices and our activities as sin, then whatever we want to do becomes acceptable or justified. Justified, But I, but I want somebody to know today, listen, there, there's no such thing as toying around with sin. There's no such thing as escaping unscathed for sin. All sin is destructive. All sin is toxic. All sin is cancerous. And the Apostle Paul says, we all have done it. So continuing with the teachings of the Apostle Paul, this is what he said in Romans 7 and 18. He said, for I know that in me, in this flesh, nothing good dwells. Are, are you catching the theme here? Within, there's all these evil things. And Paul's saying, I know in me there's nothing good. And this is so important because there's, there's a myth out there today that mankind is inherently good. But that's not what the Bible says, is it? As a matter of fact, think about this. How much morality do you think would exist in our world if you were to somehow be able to extract or subtract or erase the influence of Scripture from the beginning of time until now? How, how moral of, of a world do you think we'd be living in? Left to our devices, mankind doesn't get better. We don't just become more righteous on our own. We don't just become more holy on our own. No, the Bible says we imagine all kind of sinful things. We manufacture all kind of sinful stuff because we're not good inherently. We're sinful, born in sin. Shaping an iniquity. As a matter of fact, there's, there, there's only one person who's ever lived who's been good. And it's not you. And it's definitely not me. But there is one who, who is good. 
The Bible says he was without sin. Yet the Bible also tells us that he willingly took our sin upon him. And Jesus allowed himself to be crucified on the cross in order to set you and I free from the power of sin. You weren't good, so you couldn't do it. I'm not good, so I couldn't do it. But there was one who was good, and he did it. Oh, thank God for that. So I hope you'll hear my voice today and I hope you'll hear the words of the Apostle Paul. Listen, we'll never ever see our need for forgiveness unless we understand the filthiness of our sin. Sin is too strong for you. I didn't say the devil was too strong for you. I said your sin, your flesh, your sinful flesh is too strong for you. You can't, you can't defeat it on your own power. You can't tackle it with your own ability. You can't sub cause it to submit. No, it, it blinds and it deceives and it takes control. You're no match for sin. Listen, sin never gives what it promises and it always takes more than you expect. That's the reality. I don't know who said this originally, but I've repeated it many times. It is so applicable. Sin will take you further than you want to go, and sin will keep you longer than you want to stay, and sin is going to cost you more than you're willing to pay. Paul also said this about sin in Romans 7, 17. He said, but now it is no longer I who do it. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand here. This is not... Paul playing the blame game. This is Paul saying, I got a sin problem. I've, I've got a sin issue. That's what's at the heart of the matter. He's saying, you know, when you're living in sin, you're not in control. Somebody nod your head at me. You're, you're living according to your carnal appetites. Who's steering the ship? You're, you're not in control. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, now it's no longer I who do it, but who is it? Sin. And where's sin living? It dwells in me. You see, church, our lives are, are, are houses, and sin not only wants to dwell in your house, sin wants to control your house. Sin wants to run your house, and it wants to run your house in the ground. He goes on to say this in verse 23. He said, but I see another law in my members and it's warring against the law of my mind and it's bringing me into captivity. That's the reality of sin. That's what sin does. It makes you a prisoner. It's bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. It's in my body. It's within me. You see, friend, today you need to understand that sin makes you a prisoner to lust. Sin makes you captive to anger. It locks you in a dungeon of depression. Sin will possess you with pride. That's what sin does. We see the impact and the effects of sin all through the book of Romans in the chapter prior than what we've been reading in Romans 6. Paul challenges us not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies because when something reigns in your life, that means it's your master. That means it's in control and you're not in control. It's the dictator of your soul, if, you're, if you will. It controls your life. Don't let sin reign. 
In Romans 3, Paul said that we are under sin. Then in Romans 5, he likens sin to a disease. And church, this is what he says. This is how he describes sin. It spreads. It wants to control us. It wants to infect us and dominate us. That's why we've got to continue to preach and stand against sin. Because sin is a tyrant that doesn't want to let go. It's like a disease that doesn't want to die. It's like a tenant, a tenant that you kick out, but it keeps coming back again and again and again. That's what Paul was saying. Sin will attract you. Then sin will turn around and attack you. Sin promises you pleasure but then it steals your peace. Sin promises and assures you satisfaction only to leave you empty. It leads with allure, with the billboards of fun and, and, and all kind of entertainment and having a good time, but where does it lead? It leads to desolation. It's the source of agony that we read about in Romans 7. And if you've ever read that chapter before, you know what I'm talking about. If not, you, you owe it to yourself and go read to go read Romans 7 because Paul's talking about this battle that is going on between his, his sin nature and the spirit. And there's this back and forth. And the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. It's talking about the control. It's talking about how deeply ingrained that is. So I've been reading from the New King James up to this point, but for the sake of, sake of clarity, I want to switch over to the, the NLT, the New Living Translation. Listen to these words. This is still Romans 7. We've already read this verse a minute ago, but look at verse 17. Here's what Paul says. So I am not the one doing wrong. Once again, he's not, he's not passing the buck. He's saying I've got a sin problem. But it's sin. It's sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Does anybody feel the tension there today? I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I end up doing it anyway. Can anybody relate here today? Can anybody be honest today? Verse 20, but I, if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin. I've got a sin problem. I've got a sin problem. I need help. I can't win the battle on my own. I can't do it by myself. I end up losing every time. I come up short time and time again. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do it and I do it over and over. Verse 21, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law. Listen, Paul was saying, don't, I, I don't have a, a problem with loving God. I love him. I love his word. I love his law with all of my heart. But there is another power within me that's at war with my mind. And this power, what does it do? It makes me a slave. Because that's, what's, that's the reality of sin. It's not to play with. It's not to have a good time with. It's not to trifle with. It's to enslave you. 
This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. That's how he begins at verse 24. Listen, you've got to know that's the key. That's the place that we've all got to get to. That's where we need to arrive. We've got to get there. If we're ever going to be saved, we've got to admit that we're a sinner who needs saving. If you're always trying to justify and explain things away, oh, well, you know what, this is just who I am, and this is just my nature. This is, this is just my temperament, and this, this is my personality. This is just my birth order. If you're always trying to explain away your bad habits, you're always trying to explain away the things that you do wrong, and you're never going to arrive at the point of freedom. you got to get to the point like Paul did, saying, oh, what a miserable person. What a, what a sinful person that I am. And after he makes that declaration, Paul gets to the real question. And here's what he says. Who will free me from this? Who, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Then he makes this declaration in verse 25. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. The struggle is real. The tension is significant. The battle has been ongoing. I keep trying to walk a straight line, but I keep on veering to the left and the right. I keep on picking myself up only to fall back down again. But there is an answer, and there is help, and there is a solution, and he has a name, and his name is Jesus. Paul said there's an answer to the tension in your life. There's an answer to being held captive. There's an answer to the disease. There's a solution to the dilemma. There is freedom and forgiveness. Thank God. And the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to know today that when Jesus moves in, he kicks the tyrant out. They're not compatible, by the way. Jesus and sin are not compatible. When he comes in, he expects to clean house. Church, that's not our job to clean somebody else's house. Did you hear me? It's not up to you and I to straighten people out. But when God moves in, he's like, hey, you know what? This doesn't align with my, my word. This doesn't line up with my spirit. This doesn't belong in your life anymore. And it's got to go. It's got to move. If I'm staying, it's going. He moves in and he takes over the throne of your life. And he begins to reign with life and peace instead of sin and death. Listen, it's kind of like when I was a kid in elementary school. I was being bullied by a couple guys. And then I, I know you guys think that I, I, I probably, you know, with my, my size and physique can, you know, really take care of myself. But the suit really hides it well. So well. But believe it or not, I got bullied. And having a name like Shay didn't help matters. It made me tough. 
These guys wouldn't leave me alone. They would pester me. They would bully me. Did cruel things to me. I'm going to stop there. I might start twitching or something. But Brother Carr, you know what I did? When I had these bullies that were messing with me and pushing me around and mistreating me, what I did was I, I pulled in somebody who was bigger. I went and got my big brother. And you know what? When my big brother showed up, and my big brother went in that bathroom in that elementary school, and he literally knocked their heads together and left them lying under a sink, put the fear of God in them, you know what? Amazingly, those bullies left me alone. Well, I want to tell somebody here today, there's somebody bigger. There's somebody bigger that you need to invite into your home. And when Jesus shows up, Come on, when you just tag Jesus into the fight, when you say, here's the throne of my life, come sit on it. Come be king of my life. Well, Jesus looks at the devil and says, hey, there's not room enough for both of us. You gotta go. Your day is over. Your reign, your dominion is over. Paul said, thank God there is an answer and it's Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, hallelujah, has anybody met him today? Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? Hallelujah. Praise God. I want you to know that if you're here today and you're ready for sin to move out, and you're ready for Jesus to move in, it can happen today. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. If you're weary of the crushing weight of sin and you're ready for it to go, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is ready to meet you where you are. Jesus is ready to forgive you and set you free. That's what he does. 1 John chapter 3 verse number 8 tells us that he who sins is of the devil. Make no mistake about it, sin isn't to be toyed with. Sin isn't fun. Sin isn't entertaining. Oh yeah, the pleasures of sin. The Bible even calls it that. But the Bible lets us know the reality and it says it's only for a season. And pretty soon you're going to need more fun. You're going to need more entertainment. You're going to need more of that drug. You're going to need more of that thing to get the same level. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest. Why? Why did God come to earth? Why, why, this season we're getting ready to celebrate called Christmas. What is it all about? Why? Why did God come and take on flesh? That's what he's saying. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest. What's that purpose? Well, here it is. This is why Jesus came and lived a sinful, sinless life. He came that he might destroy. Not just that he might alter or break, but he was manifest. He came to earth. He came and lived. He came and was tempted. 
He came in and felt what you and I feel. He came and was manifest. Why? So that he might destroy the works of the devil. I want somebody to know today that Jesus came to kick the devil out of your life. Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to loose the chains of bondage. He came to bring dead things back to life. That's why he came to destroy the work of the kingdom, the dominion of the enemy in your life. That's why he came. I want you to think about that as we go through the Christmas season. That sweet little baby in the manger, why did he come? He didn't want sin to have dominion. He didn't want sin to dominate you anymore. He didn't want you to live as a prisoner. He didn't want you to live as a slave. He didn't want you to live as a captive. So he came so he could break those bonds. He came so he could show that there's victory through him. Let me close with this this account about the famous actor, Anthony Hopkins. Maybe, Maybe the name is familiar. We'll put his picture on the screen. Anthony Hopkins, an A-list actor in Hollywood, Oscar winner. As a matter of fact, if you look him up, he's, you'll find that, that he has a title. It's Sir Anthony Hopkins. And that, that title was bequeathed, bestowed upon him by the, none other than the queen herself. So this guy was a big deal. Any, any movie that he, he was in was almost guaranteed success because of the notoriety, because of his skill, because of his talent. So as you can imagine, for someone like that, he's in demand and money's no option. Money's not an issue for him, but the rest of the story is that Anthony Hopkins was bound by alcohol. And this alcohol problem was absolutely ruining his life. He battled 30, 40 years with alcoholism. It had control of him. He just couldn't seem to get free, though he would spend money on therapy and retreats and detox and all the things that he could do, no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't shake it. He just couldn't get free. But in an interview that he gave in 2018, Anthony Hopkins said that as he sat in, a, in an AA meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous, he's sitting there. Here's this celebrity. Here's this guy that's famous around the world, a man, man who has his name on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Here he is in an AA meeting, battling alcoholism still 40 years later. But he said in this interview that there was one day in a meeting that one question asked to him by a nameless lady in an AA meeting changed his life. And he goes on to recount how this lady, and he couldn't even call her name, this lady simply looked at Sir Anthony Hopkins, the Hollywood superstar. And she asked him, why don't you try God? You've tried everything else. Why don't you try God? 
interview, he said that in that moment, he went from being an atheist to a believer. And he went on to say that he had been an atheist for 40 years and that atheism had gotten him nowhere. He was still bound. He was still addicted. But he said in that interview that from that moment on, he never touched alcohol again. You want to know why? It's because when Jesus moves in. It's when Jesus moves in. He begins to change things. This doesn't belong in your life anymore. This can't stay around. Come on, he moves in and he takes over and everyone and everything else has to move out because when he becomes Lord, when he sits on the throne of your life, there's not room for anyone else. Stand with me. I said it earlier, but let me say it again. Sin is a disease, and the cross of Jesus Christ is the only cure. But you've got to know today that in order to get free of that disease, you've got to admit that you're a sinner. That's what repentance is all about. Salvation doesn't begin with baptism. No, you need to be baptized if you haven't. Salvation doesn't begin with receiving the Holy Spirit, even though it's a gift and promise to you. Salvation begins with repentance. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I've tried everything. I've mustered up all the willpower that I could find. I've read the books. I've gone to the sessions. I've tried to change my thinking. Listen, before we come to this altar today, I want to I share with you the rest of the story because once you settle the sin issue in Romans 7, once you do what I'm talking about and you get to the place where you're not justifying your behaviors, your, your behaviors and your choices and decisions any longer and you're calling them what they are, you're calling sin, sin. Once you do that in Romans chapter 7, then you're ready to step into Romans chapter 8. Let me remind you that when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he didn't enumerate chapters. He didn't enumerate verses. People came along later and did that so we could easily find places in the Bible. So chapter 7 ends, but as Paul's writing it, it rolls right into chapter 8. So here's what it says in the New Living Translation, verse 1 of Romans 8 and 1. So now, now that we've established it, sin's a problem. Now that we've established that you can't beat this thing on your own. Now, now that you've admitted that you're a sinner. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. He's saying you may have been struggling. You, you may have been having a battle. You may have been having difficulty up one day and down the next. But when Jesus moves in, there's no more condemnation. Verse 2, and because you belong to him, 
You're not a captive. You're not property of of sin anymore. Now you belong to him. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. Is anybody thankful for that today? Is anybody grateful for what he did? God did what the law couldn't do. He came. He came in flesh. Sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. I love this next part. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer, somebody shout no longer. Shout those two words, no longer. Sin's reign is over. Sin's dominion is over. Jesus has moved in. And because of that, we no longer have to follow our sinful nature, but instead we can follow a new master. We can follow the spirit of God that lives within us. So if you're here today, this altar's open. If you're ready for sin's control to end, would you step out and come find a place to cry out in repentance to the Lord? Come on, if you're ready for a no longer moment, if you're ready to no longer be captive, to no longer be a slave, to no longer be bound by your sinful nature, if you need help today, I want you to know the answer is Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.